0: Thanks so much to Sentry.io for sponsoring this week's episode of Does Not Compute. As you may know, I've been working on a new Vue.js front-end application for Moteham Radio, and I just recently installed Sentry because I was having lots of problems with user errors. Uh, Obviously, I'm just one person. I can't catch everything by click testing, and I've got a lot of error reports, but those are not very helpful. You don't really have any context for what the user was doing when the uh, crash occurred. So I threw Sentry in there, and Almost instantly, I was treated with detailed contextual information about all the errors that were occurring in real time. I get a stack trace. I have it linked with GitHub, so I know which commit caused the error. Uh, And of course, the developer to blame uh, in this case is just me. But if you're on a team, uh, you could know who to point the finger at. I also have it integrated with the releases of my application, so I know which versions uh, have more or less errors than before. And it knows about who the users are in my application, so I can reach out to them if I need more information. There's even this great breadcrumb trail, which will show stuff like previous console log statements, where the user navigated to and from, and any other AJAX requests that occurred on the page leading up to the error. Now, if I had a deployment pipeline, it could integrate with that as well, so I could catch errors before they even make it into production. Of course, there's plenty of first-party support for client and server platforms, including Vue.js, Rails, and of course, Elixir. So, head on over to Sentry.io to give it a try. They have a free developer account, no credit card required, and it's great for personal projects and early stage applications. Sentry.io, your code is broken. Let's fix it together.
1: So, let's just get right into it. As Philip, What does Philip DeFranco say? Let's just jump right in. Jump right into it. I do have a couple questions for you, but I would like to hear how your week went before I drop these questions on you. And ruin your weekend.
0: <laughs> you can't ruin my weekend. That's good to hear. It's already been ruined. Oh, that's no, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> could go either way. Yeah, could yeah. could make it worse. It could make it better. Sure. No, I've been, I've been super busy. I've been really, really lucky to have the latter half of this week not have very many distractions, mm-hmm. which has been kind of a godsend because of working on this new, like, full stack feature that involves all the moving pieces (laughs) so uh i've been working on integrating a new piece of hardware with the remote home radio system and it's it's pretty it's really really cool hardware uh the documentation for it is decent um i've gotten good support from the companies so it's like all in all uh it's been it's been really really nice but building new hardware for me involves okay well i have to write a driver for it I have to write... Well, even before I do that, I have to write something to parse and read their API, which, of course, the API for every single thing in Ham Radio is different, right? Mm -hmm. There are all these weird serial protocols and stuff. So I have to write something to parse and send commands to this piece of hardware. I have to uh, write a UI for it. (laughs) And then I have to figure out how it fits in with the rest of the system. You know, there's some pieces of our server that are automated. And so how do we you know link all those different things together and then there's also the middle piece so it's like figuring out okay yeah we have this messaging system built in where the the ruby server can talk to the view client via a phoenix middleman basically message passing and uh i have to build some special special features into that as well so everything's just kind of up in the air and God forbid I get distracted because everything just evaporates in a poof of smoke, right? Right. But so far, it's been really, really good. And uh, i just been uh, late nights working on it because I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> Staying up way later than I should yeah. to get it done because cause I'm actually having fun with it for once. So that's nice.
1: Well, it's good to hear that you're having fun with it. I, I have been noticing that you've been, you've been up later on Discord because now I'm three hours behind you. And so I'll get on Discord and be like, "Oh, he's still awake." And he, and you reply to me when I message you, and I probably shouldn't message you because I know it's late.
0: Yeah, don't get used to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's cool. I would really like to hear what what uh, building a driver entails, uh, and I think maybe even specifically because are you doing this new driver in Ruby or Elixir? Uh, it's all in Ruby. It's all in Ruby. Yeah, I'd I'd like I'd really like to hear about that process uh, more in depth at some point. Yeah,
0: it's it, I use driver in the loose sense. It's not like a os level driver obviously right sure but it's it's an interface between hardware and software and you have to keep track of the state of things and that's not always easy especially when sometimes you have to request state of the hardware you have to be like hey change x to y -hmm. sometimes state just gets pushed at you so you have to update hey what's the latest thing i know about the state of the hardware? Uh sometimes you send a command and you get an error back. Sometimes you send a command and you get a success pass. Sometimes you send a command and you get nothing back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes your connection goes away and you don't know what the state of the thing is when it comes back. Yeah. How do you handle that? Right? There's lots and lots of questions. So actually it's funny, I'll just give you a really high level, but what I found that works really, really well is I actually made my own vuex style Redux store, basically. <laughs> or Flux implementation, basically. So each like component driver has a state object, and the state is just a big hash or a big map, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can mutate it, I can get stuff out of it, and I, I have it all wrapped in uh, mutexes, and th- so it's all thread-safe, because so, there's all different threads for reading and writing and processing and requests come in and out, and everything's on different threads, so better make sure it's all thread-safe, or else you're going to have problems deadlocks and all kinds of stuff so just be my hand sweaty yeah but but yeah what i ended up doing was just basically making a making a flux implementation for the component and that's how i keep track of the state and then everything is kind of based around that you know i can subscribe to it so whenever the state changes i can i can verify that the state uh is correct and respond to it and so on and so forth so uh, i could share that with you sometime it's actually like really stupidly simple there's not really much to it but that uh it's cool to be able to basically write what feels like a gen server in uh in Ruby basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh yeah, I have actually now that we talk about it I have tons of topic ideas <laughs> that I need to write down. Uh I've been using task a lot in uh in in a design collective and uh as things are growing I'm realizing that when in my in my haste to just get things out the door I'm realizing that um, I didn't account for as things scale in certain places and I didn't account for when, when, when stores are uploading some of their own data that some of them might have large data sets and that those data sets shouldn't be queued uh, in the request cycle, for example, uh, which feels like a rookie mistake looking back on it. But this kind of leads me to one of my questions that I had for you today. And it's Paul and I were talking about it because I was kind of beat myself up a little bit over like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense why that bug happened. And it's an easy fix. But Paul mentioned something to me. He said, you know, like, well, it's kind of hard to plan for something that you didn't consider or something that wasn't expected. Because in some cases, uh, and in a couple of these cases where a bug was happening, where the the request would basically just time out. Because even though I was taking care to put things in Redis, so I wasn't actually executing all these jobs in the request flow, but the the jobs were being themselves were being queued in Redis. And so it turns out that some of the data sets are so large that... Redis would take... It would take long enough to actually put things into Redis queue that the the connection would time out.
0: <laughs> so you ha- you're putting so many jobs in that that it couldn't be done in the request cycle.
1: Exactly. And yeah, I mean, for 99% of the stores on our platform, that's perfectly acceptable because they don't have that much data. It's just that a couple of bigger stores just came on and And then they just exposed, I guess, exposed this weakness in the design. And I was like, oh, I'd never thought that a store this big or like a store would come to us with all this data, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, the fix is five minutes. It's an easy fix, but it's just something that I hadn't considered or didn't think to consider. So uh, I guess my first question for you was, and I don't know that this has a concrete answer or it can have a concrete answer. Uh, And maybe I don't even really know what I'm looking for in an answer, but it was just something I was thinking about this week. Was how do you how do you plan for or how can you even plan for things that you don't know uh, that will happen, things that are unexpected, things that you didn't consider. How do you uh, how do you approach that?
0: Are you saying how do I how do I approach it, or how should you
1: approach it? <laughs> Those are two different things. Maybe I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a thing. So like part of me part of me sees this as like an experience thing, right? So Design Collective is the biggest most complicated app I've ever worked on, and and so I'm learning a bunch of stuff because of that. And so if this were the second largest, most complicated app I've ever worked on, you know what I mean? there are things that I would know that I don't know right now. How do you plan for the unexpected?
0: I mean, obviously the the stupid answer is you can, right? That's the whole point is that it's unexpected, but you can plan for the event of having (laughs) something unexpected, right? You don't know what it's going to be, but you can kind of mitigate the surface area and the time that's going to take you to to deal with that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just ignore things. If something <laughs> comes up and it's a problem. Like you just be like, eh, I don't know. And move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's obviously an unhealthy and bad way to do it. That's one option. Uh, you can always like push it off. If it's especially with something that's not super critical and it's not like a, like a game changer, like a deal breaker. I mean, you can always be like, hey, this is beyond the scope, right? Because like planning for the unexpected could mean like, oh, we thought of this awesome idea now that we're halfway through building this thing. What do we do, right? Do you pivot and try to build that awesome idea in addition to what you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Do you throw out everything you've done? Like that's, that's a tricky one, right? Because like you're always coming up with new ideas. What happens if you're in the, in the middle of, of doing that and you come up with something that seems like it might be better
1: yeah that's that's an interesting thing to think about for sure and, and that goes a lot to I guess budgeting and time frame like what what you have budgeted for for the thing that you're working on do you have time like if it's early on it's really easy to to maybe do that kind of revisit that's why Paul and I have been trying to do this thing where we budget time frames longer so our boss is always telling us it's totally fine if we uh Take more time. I think a lot of the time constraints that we have is because uh, it's my fault directly in pitching a time frame or like underestimating how long something might take or how complicated it might be. And so I'm trying to do this thing where I'm budgeting uh, sort of an exploratory phase, and then I'm budgeting a purely testing phase at the end of the product project. So it used to be that as thing as soon as this thing was ready, we kind of like click test along the way, and then it's done. It's like well let's push it out the door. It's done, you know? And so now what I'm trying to get to is this feature is done. Let's wait a full week and, and spend a good portion of my next week solely focused on trying to break this thing. And it's, so this this big shipping feature is the first thing I'm doing this on. And it's working out pretty well, but that's, that's one, I think like, especially in the, in the front half of the project timeline in budgeting an exploratory phase, I think that's probably where I might learn some of this stuff. There's always going to be stuff towards the middle of the end of the project where I figure out like, oh, I really wish I really wish I knew about this thing or I really wish I knew about this limitation. That's always gonna happen, but uh I think that I find probably eighty percent of those things out if I'm doing some sort of exploratory phase before I start hardening stuff. And by that, I mean, just like writing code that I know that can be tossed away pretty easily and not writing a bunch of unit tests or different things that kind of make it harder to get rid of it.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit on probably the most important point and like the thing that you can always do, no matter what kind of project you're working on or what kind of phase you're at is like just budgeting more time. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, you don't know what a problem is going to come up how hard it's going to be, how uh, you know important it's going to be to fix it. As long as you leave time for it, you you can have time to figure all that stuff out, right? Yeah. If you, imagine if you didn't leave yourself time to do that, you would have, and something came up, well, what's going to happen? You know, the only thing that can happen is the quality of whatever you're doing goes down or you can't get it all done.
1: Yeah. So an interesting thing happened where this whole last week was supposed to be me mainly just click testing the shipping update. And I spent about half the week in extra calls that I wasn't really expecting to be on. And I spent about the other half of the week, or let's say thirds, I spent a third of the week on phone calls that I didn't think I was going to be on or didn't know about, or they just kind of happened. I spent a third of the week making fixes and changes to things that I found while click testing. And then I I spent the rest of the third of the week uh, assisting in uh not necessarily all bug fixes but like bug fixes and changes and things that that needed to be tweaked for like marketing reasons or for support reasons or whatever else so my my idea was i have a whole week to spend on this thing and it signed off my boss and then in reality i have a third of the week to to spend on doing what i actually wanted to do
0: yeah but it's still better than nothing right it is better than <laughs>
1: nothing for sure yeah yeah, that's the, the, the budget thing. It, for me, I guess I have it easy because I can set my time budget, but I don't, I don't know how that would... I guess some teams don't have that luxury, right? It, it, it's just difficult. But I guess that at the end of the day, that kind of has to be a priority. That just has to be something that is accounted for when you're, when, you're, when you're writing the budget, no matter if you're on a team or if you're a solo developer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it also depends on really how flexible your team is or your your management team really mm-hmm. you know when you spec something out is there room is there wiggle room are you doing like this waterfall model where you have to like you spec everything out 100 at the beginning and then like that can never ever ever change or are you more doing an agile thing where you uh can kind of tackle those things as they as they come along it depends a lot on your process right yeah and really just the I don't know, composition of your team, (laughs) right?
1: That's true, yeah.
0: It depends probably on the size of your team too. I imagine at a bigger company, you're going to have a lot less flexibility and freedom to kind of go off and tackle uh, other challenges that are not within the scope of what you're supposed to be working on. I could see that being
1: pretty difficult. Yeah. And that's a sense I kind of get to when, because I've Googled this question a couple of times and there are similar answers. So there's like the thing that you kind of mentioned was like, oh, you have to budget time for it. And then there's the counterpoint where people are like, I can't set the budgets and time's not accounted for. And kind of at an impasse there, you know, where they don't have just the ability to, and maybe the culture of the company is that we're not, that's not valuable. Right. So I've worked at other companies in the past where. Uh, things like testing just weren't prioritized, and so even though we were working on building MVPs and things like that, and the developers know that that's just part of how it works, the timeframes were just too short. They're <laughs> just too short. Period. And and I think the leadership of the company originally had started; it was mainly designer focused, and so development was sort of a an expertise they didn't really have, and so the the budgets were all just way too short. And over time, they were grew, growing longer as, as we learned what it would take to actually do things right. And thoroughly, they grew longer. But that was, I guess, my experience in development where I didn't really have time for it. I just did the best with what I could at the time. And maybe that's just part of the reality of being a programmer is sometimes you're just not going to have time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but I guess your advice does ring true to me. Uh, I just need to be more conscious of that unless less maybe happy path all the time. That's, I don't know if that's a great way to look at it. Like not budgeting. Maybe that is a good way to look at it. I don't want to make the non-happy path seem like a negative thing because it is a reality. And it's something that I need to consider more often, I think.
0: I mean, you're an optimist by nature, so you gotta, you gotta put on your pessimistic hat once in a while.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. So (laughs) So the second half, uh, or my second question kind of is like almost the second half to that discussion. So again, the first question was like, how do you plan for the unexpected? And then that's, that's sort of like, I guess, at the beginning of a project lifecycle, right? So you're sitting down, you're thinking about anything that could possibly go wrong, trying to forecast uh, the project and writing that stuff down. And then maybe you're at the middle of the end of the project and it's inevitable where you're going to hit something you're going to run into a situation where you, you're going to ask yourself like or say something to yourself like I should have done this or you're going to have a realization of, wow, I really should have approached this feature implementation in a different manner. Uh, so I guess my question is, how do you handle that situation uh, if, you, if you're if you working on a feature and you run into that scenario like, wow, I, I should have done this or like you have an epiphany, I suppose.
0: Do you have a particular example? Is this something you encountered uh when building the shipping stuff, can you think of an example off the top of your head? Or-
1: <laughs> yeah, I really do need to do a feature breakdown. There's just it's it's sort of like an imposter syndrome thing because I know there's things that need to get cleaned up and fixed and changed. Some like legacy things, and I don't want people to see that. But that's just just me being scared of people being like, "Wow, you should have done this," which I guess plays into this 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 conversation. But yeah, so part of the big sh- the part of the big shipping update was. Uh, having we have We have a bunch of data from our, our shipping partners, and it allows us to estimate what a shipment's going to cost, like an average shipment. so it's it's basically a table that's that's derived from this company running numbers saying, okay the, the product would be this big, um, and if we take into account like a bunch of different metros across the US, the number boils down to this. So this is on average is what the product's going to cost to ship and and so what we're doing is we're building that into the price of the product based off of a store setting. So a store can opt into this and when they opt in, their products like eligible products are are having their prices masked to customers to show that shipping's included, right? So when they get to the checkout, that number doesn't change and sticker like sticker shock doesn't hit them and all that stuff. So that's like the the gist of it. So what the easiest and some of these decisions were based off of just how what we had, right? So I didn't make the original version of Design Collective. I just I have what I have. And so one of the things that I did was on the product table, the estimated shipping prices are stored on a product on the product table on a product by product basis, right? So when a store opts in and a customer uh sees the product, they're going to see the sum of what the what the lowest advertised price is. So the lowest advertised price being any user discounts that that user might have, plus any um, sale prices that the store might have, plus any estimated shipping prices if that feature is turned on, right? And that's again, that's on a product by product basis. Now, when you add that product to your cart, th- those values kind of get just get copied over to the line item table, uh, which in our system is called product orders, uh, which is basically just a join table as it sounds like. And again, in the cart, we we do some things. Uh, in the cart, we don't consider the store setting because that would be weird if a store turned it off and you already had something in your cart and the price just changes. That to me would be weird. So we don't modify it at that point. But so, so that's kind of like the, the foundation, right? So estimated prices on the product, they get copied over to the line item. That's, that's fine. So there are also other prices to consider. So if, if we're estimating a shipping price, that shipping price might include our shipping partners, um, service fee, for example, but it also might need to include uh, insurance based off of that product's pricing. So I can talk to my boss and say, when do you want to purchase insurance that covers us for a product and when do you not want to? And so she might come back to me with some complicated tier system uh, and then I have to figure out, okay, well, how do I store this figure? And so eventually it becomes just adding more columns onto a products table, which I don't necessarily want to do, Right. So maybe one solution is to actually store that in a map in Postgres, uh, or I mean, I guess it would be JSON and Postgres, but in Elixir it would be a map, right? So maybe I could just put a, a pricing—I don't know what I would call it—but maybe put a map on there, so that way I don't have to specifically account for every number that would have to be added up, but instead it could just be a collection of things, and that could be iterated over and summed. If that makes sense.
0: So what's the point at which you thought? So that basically what happened was you kind of i don't want to say feature creep but like stuff just kept getting added on yeah added on on, on. and there's this kind of you want to keep it dry basically You, you don't you don't want to have to handle every edge case and so you're thinking like basically what i'm getting at what i'm getting from what you're saying is that uh it became almost like unmaintainable from a sense that like you could see it was just not a sustainable path for how to handle pricing at all, just because of all the edge cases. Is that, is that kind of your, your light bulb moment? Like this, this does not scale.
1: Yeah. So I've had that feeling for a little while. (laughs) It's just, again, it's, it's hard to manage wanting to, to do this like cleanup stuff or kind of like database design changes and then do everything else with just two people. So like, it kind of hits a breaking point, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And at that point it becomes purely about what's prioritized you know what is, what is the company prioritizing right now and up until this point we've had features that we need, we just needed to be able to sell effectively and what's interesting is that this year that's changing the focus is shifting to uh, focusing on conversion and ab testing and and under on, on the back end side more cleanup and maintenance stuff performance based stuff uh, which is going to be awesome but yeah that's sort of, that's sort of what it is so this was also compounded by this insurance talk just kind of coming in halfway through. It wasn't a thing that was. It wasn't in discussion. So yeah, you're right. It could. It, it essentially feature creep at that point. And so I'm thinking down the road. I'm trying to balance like what's a premature optimization versus what needs to happen right now, in 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 a time sense, right? So. Everyone's told uh, premature optimizations are bad, and if you don't need to do it now, you shouldn't do it now. But like, what's the breaking point for that? Like, what, what, when does that t- scale actually get tipped?
0: What, <laughs> when is it no longer premature? Right. right when is yeah, it mature? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess
1: if I have to ask myself that question, maybe that's that's when the scale is tipping.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, whenever I come to those kind of things, this happens a lot for me uh, when I'm kind of thinking about architectural. Things in the code; those are usually the things that you don't think about. You're kind of thinking of the end goal and the product and what it's going to look like and how mm-hmm. it's going to behave. Yeah. But if you're not really, you know, that that happens if you're very product or service focused. But if you're not thinking about the the underlying structure, yeah, lots of times you run into that block where you're like halfway <laughs> through writing a line of code and you're like, shoot, <laughs> yeah, I need to, <laughs> I need to get this data. Or it's not available where I want it, or it's not in the form I want it. Uh, you know, I'm doing all these edge cases where this should just be a simple, uh, you know, hidden behind an interface or a simple loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> I hate that. So, first thing I like to do is just stop what I'm doing, <laughs> right? Sure. Don't keep going. You, you can resist the temptation to be like, Uh, like maybe i'll just deal with that later and put a to do and keep going oh my god yeah Uh, you can't do that but like to do 1.1 yeah exactly it's worth it to at least stop and think about it for two seconds and take a step back and say like okay what's the real problem here because because when you encounter these i should have done this moments really you're thinking about what are the exact steps i need to do get to get the specific task i'm working on done but really what's happening is, like, there's an overlying structural problem. If, if you're writing code and it's not coming out as fast as you can type it because... Or, you know, as fast as you can think it, basically. Mm-hmm. There's something something fundamentally wrong. There's something missing. And it's like, what, what is it? What's, what's the... You know, is it, is it a missing class? Am I structure my data the wrong way? Uh, do I not even have the data? Like, what's the fundamental problem here and then once you figure that out then you can think about like okay how much work is it to fix it the way i want it right what do i have what do i what's my goal and how do i get there and another thing i like to do is just look at what other people have done right nobody has any real new problems to solve everything's kind of already been solved it's just whether or not the solution is locked up in somebody's proprietary code or whether someone's written an article about it or has an open source library to help you deal with it or or some project that's out there that you can look at their source and be like, hey, this is, uh, this is a good way to solve this. I'm just going to steal this, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Sure, yeah. Uh, I always like to kind of look to other people to see what's been done because more often than not, you'll find something there that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really good advice. Uh, that is really good advice. Uh, it just keeps like running around in my head, which is why I can't see anything other than that's really good advice. Cause it, it's uh, I wish we would have had to talk earlier. So, so <laughs> uh, from, from, I think the the most important thing you said is maybe stop, stop and think about it because especially when you're at the end of a project or near the end of a project, you tend to be like, well, this just has to go out the door. And so you just make it work and you do, uh, to do 1.1 you know, or something, something similar, you make a note somewhere, change this eventually. And then what happens is it doesn't ever get changed. And that kind of keeps continuing on and stopping and thinking about it. Also to me is almost like, uh, how I talk about sometimes how reflection is really important, right? Stopping and thinking about things from kind of a bigger, bigger picture perspective, especially because in, in situations like this. And so, and this is so real to me because this has been my last few weeks, uh, it's really easy to get kind of like stuck in the implementation details and stuck in this is how, this is how it's kind of outlined to happen. And so we're just going to keep pushing on with this. And if, if I would have just taken a second and, and started to rethink a thing a little bit, uh, maybe I would have had more time to make a change Uh, with this specific project. It's difficult because, Again, some of the things that i don't necessarily like are just things that we have because that's what we have that's what we inherited, and we're slowly making changes to it, but didn't necessarily have a choice in how that stuff was structured and and so one of the th- one of these things that I'm doing is i've talked about Refactor Fridays, which is a real thing, and so my boss <laughs> says to me all the time now let's let's just hit that on refactor Friday
0: oh no <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's great
1: which yeah which is it's it is and it isn't because Refactor Friday isn't for like a, a necessarily for a bug fix. That's 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 the rest of the week. That's what the week is for. Refactor Friday is for like actual refactoring and things. Like oh, that. sure. I see what you mean. But yeah, so I guess I like the I like what you're saying there because it, it's advocating like big picture, like. Zoom out, look at things from big picture perspective. Almost, almost in a sense, like I saw. An, I saw an animated gif one time. I don't think I could actually find the source of this, but someone was talking about refactoring, and what they did was it was like a a chunk of JavaScript code. And one of the steps to their refactoring was they drew a colored box over over some of the lines, and so the colored box was a. Category for what was happening. This is a variable being set. This is a conditional or control structure. This is what's returned. And so they kind of covered it with color boxes. And part of the refactor was switching the color boxes around. And it was interesting. So I guess like that point to me illustrates like the difference between getting stuck in the implementation and the nitty gritty details versus kind of like covering those up and zooming out a little bit and seeing the big picture sort of thing.
0: Well, think about what happens. This happens a lot when we chat with each other, or really, I see it a lot in just uh, chat, like help channels in general. Mm-hmm. Someone will come in, they have a question, and they'll say, "How do I do X?" Mm-hmm. And usually, it's pretty clear by the way they're asking the question or their particular question they're asking. It's like, "Well, okay, what are you trying to do?" Right? Not like how do how do I f- fix this one line of code. It's like, "Okay, what are you trying to what are you trying to accomplish here?" It's a the classic XY problem, right? And usually it ends up with like, oh, take a step back, explain us what you're trying to do, and then approach it from this direction and then understand why the thing you're asking is really the wrong question to be asking. And that happens every day, all day, and, <laughs> you know, on, on public forums and chat rooms within companies and... Uh, it's it's just the same symptom of the same problem. And actually, another thing I just thought of that's really helpful is just rubber, duck, rubber ducking at each other, right? I mean, just talking with people, just by the process of you explaining what you're trying to accomplish, usually, like, I get to 80% of the way there, right? I mean, we do that. You and I do that so often.
1: Yeah. And I do that with Paul a lot, obviously, because we work together. But that was one of my ideas, I guess, on kind of... S- Answering both of those questions, how do how do you plan for the unexpected, and what you know, what do you do when you when you hit that I uh, should have done this moment is reaching out to. Uh, I guess if you're working for a bigger company, that would be coworkers. You know, that would be other people, other programmers, maybe that aren't super familiar with what you're working on, uh, because that helps have sort of a fresh concept or a context and a fresh like set of eyes on it. And if you don't have that, like, I don't necessarily, it's like me and Paul, you know what I mean? He knows exactly what I'm doing and I know exactly what he's doing. So sometimes it's hard to get that fresh perspective. I'll just go to the Elixir Slack or I'll go to the Viewland uh, Discord community or something and just, just I, I try to describe what I'm doing as succinctly as possible and then ask like a, a concrete answer at the end and say, you know, has does anyone have experience with this? Uh, does anyone have any positive or negative experience? Is there a simpler way to do this? Uh, am I even solving the right problem or am I even asking the right question? And to me, I've gotten a lot of uh, kind of eye-opening experiences, I guess. Someone will say something you're like, I never thought of that or I'd never thought of this framing this problem in that way uh, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely always a learning experience for sure, especially when you're open to, to just, you know, you're specifically asking like, hey... Feed me some info. Like tell tell me tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, you know, being uh being open to criticism, I guess, is really what it comes down to. Because you're kind of admitting it can be hard, right? You're kind of admitting that mm-hmm. hey, I'm like stupid. Like I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Help me out.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's been something I've been getting over for a while too, uh, is is that idea of feeling Not inferior, maybe not the right term for it. Feeling inferior, feeling like... Well, you mentioned imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but to me, I'm starting to learn like at the end of the day, it's a trade-off. Like, do I want to feel insecure and nervous about how my app is running? Or would I rather get embarrassed? Not that someone's trying to embarrass you, but would I rather feel a little bit embarrassed by asking a question and sleep a little bit better with like knowing, you know, knowing that there's not like this, this thing... This gaping hole or whatever in my application
0: yeah it can be really hard to kind of come to terms with that basically i try to just do the thing that i would tell someone else to do <laughs> like what would be the advice you give someone if someone comes to you with this problem you're gonna tell them hey go you know go ask go ask for help right <laughs> yeah. don't right yeah. i mean this is just this is just uh trending into life advice here but <laughs> it could be hard to kind of focus yourself and just be like hey maybe i should just follow my own advice for once (laughs) not not worry about it not worry about the the consequences and i don't know just being open to that is just being open to learning and not feeling like you're the smartest person in the room that can that can definitely get you out of out of a bind because if you are going to be hard-headed about it then you're not going to make any progress especially when you get stuck on something like that right
1: yeah what's what's funny is that that's exactly it what would you what would you tell someone else to do and i I say that to people all the time oh yeah, go over to this community they've been great to me and ask a question <laughs> yeah, yeah I I guess I'm just trying to be better about that like trying to be better about not just soldiering on and, and like pushing through a problem and trying to step back a little more and and move a little slower and I think a lot of it comes from this idea that I have to that I'm actively fighting against, first of all, but this idea that we have to move fast and break things or end up the competition is gonna eat your launch, right? I, I never really liked that idea. But for whatever reason it it always comes up in my mind when I'm scheduling a feature or like thinking my boss is like, How long is this gonna take or when can we have this ready or something, you know? There's always this internal struggle of When's the absolute soonest that this thing can get out the door, and what what I actually feel comfortable with telling my boss right now, and for whatever reason I don't know why, it's always it's usually, I don't say always, but usually it's the it's the lower of the two numbers or dates that that is what comes out of my fingers into Slack for some reason.
0: You mean the shorter time frame? Yeah.
1: How does that make you feel like, Bad. like really like,
0: do, you, do you, yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're trying. So Paul said something to me this week, which, which really got to me too. And so he was also working on a different, but, uh, related to shipping feature. And he, he had set like kind of like an internal deadline of like, yeah, I think I should ship it. I could be able to ship it by the end of the week. And so it's the end of the week and it's, you know, a Thursday and it's the end of the week and he's working hard and he just says, you know what? I, I've i made a lot of progress on this today. Uh, things went really well in this feature today. I need to just be able to accept that it's not going to ship today, and uh, I need, just need to like not work. And of course, me, I was like, that's great. Get out of here. You know what I mean? You don't have to. You don't have to stick around and beat your head on the wall to get this thing out. Like it, we can ship it tomorrow. Heck, we can ship it next week. It doesn't matter, you know. But it's it's. I think it's like this internal thing. It's, again, it's not. It's not company culture or anything like that. It's just like this push to ship this this stupid feature.
0: Yeah, you don't want to burn out on it either, right? I mean, obviously you want to get it done and you have a time frame, but you don't want to just work on it. You don't, don't want to overwork yourself because then you are not going to have energy to work on the next thing or be motivated to do it or do it well or or anything. I mean, it's all the yeah, all the bad things associated with that. So,
1: so, so on a more practical level, I guess like what can you do when you hit that you hit that moment like i should have done this and it's near the end of the project i mean cuz for me sometimes it's like i can't actually stop and redo this thing i don't have time for it so i leave notes like i have i have a note in notion that is just a table and is it's all notes of just refactor notes and so those are things that i try to budget my extra time for throughout the week so that could be refactor friday or it could be a uh It could be even like a half week thing. Sometimes I do that where I have a smaller thing or like feature that I'm working on or enhancement that I'm working on and it won't take me a full week. So I take and I budget the extra time that I have to address things in that table and that takes time and that's, that's fine. That's really the only thing I know to do in that situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really all you can do is just documenting it. Right. And I think documenting not only what you want to fix, but also kind of why, right? Like, yeah, you might have some ideas like, oh, I need to add these files here and refactor this and whatever. But really what it comes down to is like, well, what do you, what's the driving factor? What? How did you arrive at this moment, right? And understanding, giving yourself the context for why this is even a problem. Yeah, Because in the moment, it's all in your head and you're thinking about it, but if you don't write it down, you're going to come back to this and be like, this isn't really that important. (laughs) Because you kind of forget all the You have all that, the cruft that's stuck in your brain and it's like, yeah, yeah. I think it's just the same as any, any kind of spec that you write. It's you kind of, kind of have to motivate it first and I, you know, it can be just as much as leaving comments in code. You can write a full document for it. You can write issues, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, there reaches a point where you can't, you have to come back and revisit it and whether that's a next major release or a refactor Friday or just you get burned out working on something or you've got a couple hours to kill to do something like, yeah. you know, it's always good to have those kind of nuggets you can just kind of work on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is that sometimes Paul and I will make commits and it's kind of just like a leave it better commit. And so it'll just be a commit that says leave it better. And then in the, uh, I use tower specifically. And, and so what's it called? The you want to keep the, the title or the the main subject of the commit short, but then you can expound on it in additional context, I guess. So uh, we'll do like leave it better commits where we'll like do small fixes or small enhancements and things of that nature. And then we'll kind of like list what those are. And I always really like seeing those out go out. And I always, it feels really good to do those. Uh, and I guess like, so one thing I talked to my, my boss about at the beginning of the year was treating We're at a spot now where we need to treat these maintenance and changes and things like that as features, as important as features.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting to even just think about it like that. By just framing it that way, it kind of helps justify spending the time on it, especially like to to your peers and the people who are expecting you to get stuff done, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I I described it to her like this, like there there are things that we need to to clean up and tidy up. And thankfully she understands that about development and she understands that about uh programming. Where I mean you add if you add a bunch of features, it's gonna be bugs. It's just how it is. And in and, and so in thinking about that, it would seem to me that the fixing those bugs and, and, and making things better and faster. I mean, speed is almost a feature in of itself. Right. And so making those things better and faster, it's, it's, it could have as much impact as a new feature. Right. And, in, in a lot of cases, I think that it would have as big as it would have, maybe even a bigger impact. So if you're reviewing the UX of a thing and making it easier to use or, Less confusing for a customer or you're adding something that that people might be asking for like, oh, it might be nice if you could, I don't know, uh, toggle more than one thing on a product at one time, for example. To me, that goes a long way in keeping people around, I guess, is like enhancements and stability fixes and performance stuff.
0: Yeah. And if you want to get, if you want to maybe look at a larger scale example of this, I mean, we could look at my, uh, the front end for remote ham radio, right? It was this giant jQuery mess. It got to a breaking point where maintaining it was more work than than doing something else. Uh, spent a lot of time, you know, writing the nice Nuxt view application. And guess what? It's already paying off. In the matter of a couple of days, I was able to quickly iterate and build a whole new uh, interface and uh integrate new hardware with our with our system and that would have like not been possible before because at least not in the amount of time they got it done just because the it's just better tools right and it like it was structured to support those changes more easily and yeah it took a lot of work to get there but uh it was it was time you know oh i should have I should have done this well. <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have written a f- whole front-end single-page application in five thousand lines of jQuery. granted, that was the best of the thing at the time. Like, I didn't really have a lot of other options, but uh, now we do. So, you know, it's uh, it definitely can pay off, and it makes makes a better product, it makes makes a better uh, service, a better experience. It's definitely uh, you, you know it's worth it when you when you get to the end point and it's like very, very obviously better. Yeah. That's yeah. uh that's always a good feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. There's, there's a lot of stuff on my list. Always will be. I'm trying to get to you, but it feels good because it feels like this is a priority now. It, this feels like this is kind of the phase where we're not lacking anything that our customers really need. Uh, and so now it's time to make it better. Hashtag make it better or leave it, leave it better, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that for sure.
0: That's cool. That's like uh, when you go camping or hiking, they have those signs. It says, "Uh, you know, leave something more beautiful than than when you got here.
1: Exactly. That's the that's the idea. Leave it better than when we found it, you know. And that's what we're trying to do. So, I mean, even down to like back end things like, oh, this, this column on this table is not ever actually used. Let's just trim it off. It's easy. It's a quick thing. But it, it helps reduce the noise, you know. Uh, and that's, I think, especially when thinking about the database and thinking about the the schema design and a lot of stuff, it's like, how much noise can we get rid of um, and still communicate things effectively? And uh, so we've been able to get rid of a good bit of noise that we had that we inherited and things that just weren't used and things that were around. And, and over time, like six months later, you look at it, you're like, what was this for again? What does this actually mean? You know, like stuff like that. If we can get rid of stuff like that, it seems to to help out a lot, but... I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad because coming like right before we called each other, we didn't really have a topic. And then we just started chatting and these two questions just popped into my head. Like you asked me what was going on and I was like, well, I don't know. I'm struggling with these two things. So I'm glad that we're able to talk about that.
0: Yeah. Like you said, I wish we talked about this sooner, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I hope this was, this was helpful. I mean, you, you bring up a lot of points. It's stuff that, that we just as developers just focus on a lot. And it's, it's not really something that, can be taught, right? It it just comes from experience and learning and, uh, you know, hopefully sharing our experiences with each other and with our listeners can be, can be instructive in some way.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess to summarize, I mean, so there was the question of how do you plan for the unexpected and, and really, I mean, the answers were simple and there the whole time, like, like you said, take a step back and try to isolate the fundamental problem there um, and the fundamental problem there is you don't know something, right? So if you don't know it, someone else probably does, so that means like ask people, go to a forum, go to a chat room, go to Twitter, just ask people. And the hard thing there is like you said, kind of getting over imposter syndrome, um, feeling okay about admitting that you don't know how to do something and asking people that have experience in that area, how they would do it. And that's <laughs> I'm trying to take my own advice there or take your advice there. Um, and then the other question was. Uh, what do you do when I should have, like when you hit that moment, like I should have done this and you said, document it super thoroughly, leave as much context as you can and then prioritize those fixes later on. Yeah. And
0: of course you can't do any of these things if you don't allocate time for it, which is probably the most important thing is, is understanding that there's, it's just part of the process. It's not a failure of the process. It's part of the process and you have to account for that.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. It's not a failure of the process. It's just part of it. That's a really good point because I didn't realize that at some point I had decided that it felt like a failure. or Something took too long, or it took longer than I thought.
0: <laughs> right. It's not. It's not a failure. It's just a. It's not it's just a misplanning. Really, It's what it comes down to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a. That's a great point. Well, if anybody has any uh, feedback on this stuff, any any more points of advice, or any questions, or a- asked for clarifications, um, we'd love to hear that feedback. We'd love to talk to you about it. Um, If you feel like sharing the episode, please do. By all means, I'm not going to stop you. If you feel like rating us on iTunes, um, that would be awesome as well. We already have quite a few people that have done that. But if you feel like adding, that would be amazing. It really helps us out with um, uh, people that want to find the show, uh, new listeners and all that. So that would be amazing.
0: Yeah. Let us know if you guys have uh, come across any, had any of these kind of light bulb moments where you've kind of thrown up your hands and had to revisit something. I'm sure I'm sure we've all done it. I'm curious to see uh, what kind of things that people have run into and how they've resolved them. so so let us know uh, you can uh, come chat with us uh, in spectrum.chat. Uh, we got if you want to send a little longer response or if you want to tweet at us at DNC show on Twitter, Sean is at Sean Washbot and I am Shrockwell SCH.
1: Yeah, and as always, the show notes are going to be available at dnc.show. And uh, I'll try to... So my goal is to add some more long-form, long-form-ish written content. So take an episode like today where I did a bunch of rambling and try to distill it into more of a... Uh, blog post style set up. And so that way, you know, if someone wants to listen to it, they can, and hopefully that helps them. If someone reads it instead of listening to the show, that would, you know, that's helpful. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for show notes or more content like that, you can definitely get that at dnc.show.
0: I hear you're uh, working on a new site over there. We should talk about the tech behind that because it sounds really cool.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, I think you're first, when I first mentioned it to you, you're like, why is all that necessary? I'd still I'm
0: still on that boat, by the way, so... Yeah, we yeah, should talk about yeah, it. We
1: should talk about it. Um, I am. I- I'm looking forward to talking about that. And uh, yeah, thanks as always for SPECTA having us. Uh, they have other great design and programming related shows. So if you haven't, head on over to spec.fm and check them out. There's a new show on the network, isn't there? The new show is called Framework. And Framework is a podcast about the process of researching, planning, and building that goes into bringing a product to market. Actually, that sounds pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, they just uh, were added to the network and they just started uh, posting this new episodes. So definitely go check that out. I'm checking it out right now. Awesome. Well, while he's doing that, I will uh, say goodbye. Thanks. Uh, Does Not Compute was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson. See you, man. See ya. Thanks again to Sentry.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Don't wait for users to report errors. Iterate faster, improve customer happiness, and make a better product with Sentry's comprehensive error reporting platform. Give them a try at century.io